0: I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, it's going to be a little bit different of a format. We've got Coles Wicker here. I released my NBA draft big board yesterday. Today, I had a big, long stock watch thing happen where I broke down seven guys that have been interesting in the top 50 of my board for one reason or another. Uh, I also broke down the race for number one or how it has basically flowed to a crawl over the course of the last couple of weeks due to the LaMelo ball injury, due to the James Wiseman suspension and due to the fact that Anthony Edwards and Cole Anthony aren't in great situations. So go read those things. But because I have run a big board. I am just going to give the reins to Cole, basically. And Cole's wicker is just going to ask me questions about my big board and just kind of see where it goes from there. Cole, how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing much better now. I do like the role of reversal here. I get to play a little bit of host, ask you questions, and hopefully that has some value to the readers as far as your philosophy, because I'm going to ask those questions as well in your order. So do you, I'm going to start just by giving them your current top 10, just so the guys know what exactly your positioning is on some of these players, then I'll kind of go sure. from there. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Sounds great. All right. So right now we have you have what I should say you have one Anthony Edwards, two Cole Anthony, three James Wiseman, four Lamelo Ball, five Tyrese Maxey. I will in- interject really quick and say I expect that to probably be the top five on most people's boards, re- like with Maxey being the wild card. Um, six Denny. I, I, of Dia. Hold, hold on. Timeout
0: before before uh we get past that group. <laughs> um I will say, like in talking to people before doing this big board, like people who work for NBA teams, Maxi is a little bit more controversial than what I thought he would be. Um there are scouts that are like, he's like a borderline lottery guy.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. So I I should say that is the top four that you'll see on most boards via Edwards, Anthony, James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball. Five is where it gets a little bit more suspect. The people that I roll with the most, I guess you could say, have Tyrese Max. He's a top five guy, but that is not set in stone as far as the consensus opinion. You have him number five. Number six, Denny Adia. Seven, Tao. I think it's Tao you said, Maladon. Eight, Jaden McDaniels. Of course, the wing from Washington. and Nine, RJ Hampton. 10, Obi Toppin, which is a little bit of a surprise. So how I want to start this, I guess, is just getting at general thoughts about these prospects relative to each other, how you value and like connect the dots between ultimate value. In the draft, we talked a little bit independently about these guys' strengths and weaknesses and whatnot. You can go and do, of course, whatever you want to. It is your podcast. (laughs) But I will start by asking specifically about James Wiseman and Lomelo Ball. You have Wiseman at three, you have Lomelo Ball at four. What is your like basic rationale for that ranking?
0: So I'll take the first kind of structure of what you said in terms of like how the dots connect, right? And I think the best way to do that is with tiers, uh, just explaining sure. where I am on these guys. So I would say the top four is a tier for me. Um, to an extent, I would say that Lamella balls entered that tier. Uh, I would say that Maxi is like kind of by himself right now, like kind of floating. In there at five, I don't think he's quite as good as the top four. He is a pretty real step above the next group for me. Um, And then I would say six all the way down to 16, something like that, is pretty damn close. Like there were iterations of this where I had Precious Achua, who I have at 15 right now. Like I had him at like nine or 10, even like coming into this week and then went back and like watched some tape and was like, okay, like I'm a little bit worried about the jump shot. I'm a little bit worried about the defensive acumen and where he is in terms of awareness. I really buy the tools. I buy the athleticism. I buy the motor, but I think that like nine or 10 is probably a little bit too high. So I would say that there is a very real glut once you get past the top five for me. And I've really tried to spend a lot of my time over the course of the last week, trying to figure that out. Uh, in to answer your follow up question in regard to Wiseman over LaMelo Ball. A, I would say that's where a majority of teams that I have talked to are. In terms, but this is my big board. Like, I can very easily drop James Wiseman below LaMelo Ball if I feel that way. I have more significant questions about LaMelo Ball turning into a realistic jump shooter than I think you do and other people do. I legitimately think he is a basketball genius. Like, I think that guy is unbelievable when it comes to being able to distribute and run a team. I think he is the best player in this draft at being able to do that. I have real questions about how he is going to be able to score efficiently at the next level, in part due to shot selection, in part due to uh, just shooting ability. Uh, And his mechanical shooting ability in regard to his balance being slightly off. He likes to lean back on a lot of his jumpers. Uh, I still don't really love the mechanics at the top of the jump shot. Um, And additionally, I am concerned about the on-ball defense. I agree with you. You have somewhat swayed me in his off-ball defense being interesting. I will be intrigued to see how it translates to the next level. And I think a lot of it is going to depend on how his frame develops over the course of the next few years. Because I can see a world where he just gets shoved around constantly if he isn't able to continue to grow and develop that frame. I will also point out that one thing that executives and scouts, etc. have pointed out to me now is that Lonzo Ball has not had the best run with injuries so far. Lamella Ball now has this, uh, I believe it's a bruised foot injury that is holding him out uh, for four weeks or so. Like, it's, it's very unclear to me if we're going to see LaMelo Ball play again in the NBL. Like, if I was his people, I'd be like, there's... The only reason that I would consider playing again if I was LaMelo Ball is because there haven't been many general managers that have been over to see him in the NBL so far. Um, So maybe, like, he thinks he'd get himself really into the number one race by going and balling out in front of GMs. Having said that, I don't know if, like, the valuation in terms of his future is really worthwhile in that regard like is it really is there a huge difference between going number one and number four uh maybe for a 19 year old there is but i hope that there are smart people in his ear saying that it's more about getting to the right situation um yeah and since he's had that injury i have it's not that anyone has seen his medical records it's not that anyone is doing anything but Connecting dots of Lonzo having some trouble with injuries and now LaMelo going out. Whether or not that's fair or not, I don't know. uh, And I don't think they know either. But it's a conversation that has happened since I have been discussing LaMelo with them over the course of the last week.
1: That definitely makes sense. I'm going to back up just for a second and ask you a tiers question. You already kind of delineated the different groupings, one to four, five with Maxi kind of by himself, and then generally kind of a six to 16 range. What are those tiers, just so the listeners know, what do those tiers mean to you? Like, how are you defining those? Are we talking, like, all-stars? Are we talking potential starters? Like, how would you define
0: that? Great question. I don't think that there is a high-end... Like, with Zion last year, with DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic the year before, I felt those guys were 75% chance to make an all-star game. Like, very high. Uh, I And, like, look, maybe I'm wrong on that on DeAndre Ayton. I am very intrigued to see what he looks like coming back from the suspension. But that is where I felt going into that draft. I don't see that guy in this class. I would say that if we're going to try and, you know, define these tiers... That Edwards, Anthony, Wiseman, Ball, I see them as maybe all-stars, probable NBA starters, uh, certainly high upside players that if their development goes right, could really uh, end up being difference-making players. Maxi, I see as a NBA starter, just kind of full stop. I think that his game just will work. Uh, he's really yeah. good on the defensive end. He's really good as a pull-up shooter. And then... Six through 16 is a group of guys with flaws. Like, I think that this is something I mentioned in the big board that I published on Thursday. Like this is a development draft more than any draft I can remember since I've been doing this job and I'm doing it for six years. I've been following the draft for like well over a decade now, like at a high level, like the draft has long been one of my favorite parts of the season. I've been doing this as a job for six years though. And certainly in the last six years, this draft is These guys are not finished products by any stretch. And you could say that about every draft, but I think that even more so this year, these guys are a little bit farther away from being able to pinpoint what exactly their ceiling is. And because of that, a lot of it is going to be situationally dependent with these guys. For instance, Tyrese Halliburton, right? You could tell me that Tyrese Halliburton gets into a terrific situation, goes to the Spurs, Chip Engel and fixes his jump shot You could tell me that guy becomes an all-star. He is a basketball genius. If he can shoot the ball and he can make ridiculously high level decisions and defend at the level he does and be a switchable defender now in the way that he is since he's developed his ball or uh, developed uh, off the ball this year and developed his body this year. Like the sky is, I don't want to say the sky is the limit for that guy, but like he is Genuinely a very interesting upside play. If you could tell me Isaac Okoro is going to be a guy that really figures out the jump shot at some point, that guy is like one of the best role players in the NBA, I think, just full stop. But you look at the other side of those two guys, Tyrese Maxey, or uh, Tyrese Halliburton, I'm sorry, has a long way to go on that jump shot. Like, I know he's shooting 40% right now, and I know that he's shot, I think it's 42% over the course of 170 attempts over the course of his career at Iowa State now. Shooting windows really close down a lot quicker in the NBA. And his problem is that it takes him a while to get into that set shot. He'll hit you. If you go under a screen on him, I see him more as like a secondary ball handler though. Cause I don't really see him as someone that can break down an NBA defense consistently. I don't think he has the shiftiness. I don't think he has the ball handling. Like he's kind of a loose ball handler. Uh, Again, though, he's like a super hard worker. Like, I think there's a world where he just tightens up the ball handling. I don't know if he's going to get shiftier necessarily, but I think if he tightens up the ball handling and becomes a real shooter, his upside is tremendous. And then you look at Isaac Okoro. I think Okoro is definitely a role player, like, off the bench at the very least. If the shooting comes along, he is one of the best role players in the league. If it doesn't come along, he's probably not worth the 12th overall pick in the draft. This is an utterly fascinating draft from a development perspective from a fit perspective, from trying to figure out what guys fit where, what is the best situation for certain guys, uh, and how far away are certain guys from being able to make an impact at the NBA level?
1: Yeah, I very much agree with the development point in particular. I do think that people expecting immediate returns out of this class are going to have to be patient because you're not going to see such polished games come into the league. It's going to be more of a work in progress where we'll see the upside potentially, you know, three to four years down the road start to manifest to a greater extent. I want to get back to just a philosophy question at the top of the draft. You have, you have Wiseman at three, Lamelo at four. Just from a, like an approach to the draft, this is what I was getting at with connecting the dots at the end as far as yeah. value. Um, you're, you're basically taking a bet. You already said with LaMelo, you're taking a bet on his initiator upside. He's probably the one guy in this class where you look at and say he can initiate an offense a, at a high level if everything goes right, correct?
0: Mm, I would not say he's the only guy, no. I okay. actually think that Edwards and Cole Anthony... You could tell me that they reach a point, especially Anthony Edwards. Like if you told me Anthony Edwards got to the point where he is a 25 point per game scorer because he's a ridiculous shot maker and one of the best athletes in the NBA at combining explosiveness and power and the intersection of those two skills. Like that's, that's an offensive initiator, right? As far as like being an
1: engine of an offense, like running a team, do you think that that's in Anthony Edwards, range of outcomes at a high level?
0: So I would flip the question back on you. Would you consider what Victor Oladipo (laughs) does running an offense?
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And that's what I was probably going to address down the road. I Like Vic, I, like
0: Victor Oladipo, Dwayne Wade, and like I know I'm mentioning Tom Crean guys and I really don't mean to do that, but I actually think that those two guys in terms of power athleticism, in terms of uh ball handling ability, in terms of the way that they impact defense, probably Oladipo more than Wade because Wade never really developed into a three-point shooter because Wade was more of a uh Wade's era was just different realistically. Yeah. Um but I think there are probably a little bit more comparisons with Edwards' Uh, and Wade is an athlete than there are Edwards and Oladipo as an athlete. Um, Nonetheless, like these are guys that essentially ran the offense. And I think that Edwards can get to the point where he is that kind of guy. If he hits his ceiling. And that's what we're talking about. LaMelo ball too, right? Like we're talking about if this guy hits his ceiling, can he be in primary initiator? I think he can. And honestly, I would say the same about Cole Anthony. I know people are down on him right now, but look at that fucking situation that he's dealing with in North Carolina. Cole Anthony, the players around Cole Anthony are shooting 24% from three this season. He's shooting 36% from three. If you take his attempts out, the rest of that team is shooting 24% from three and they play two bigs pretty consistently. Everyone's like bitching about the fact that Cole Anthony can't, or uh, is like playing perimeter based basketball and is turning the ball over and has a assist to turnover rate that is under one. If you actually look at his like potential assists, it's really not that bad. Dudes are just missing shots first and foremost. And second, every time he goes into lane, he's getting triple teamed and that is not a joke. Literally every time he goes into the lane, he is getting triple teamed. So I am not real concerned about what I've seen from Cole Anthony in the way that some people seem to be. I think he's really good. And I think that his ability to play with shiftiness, with his ability to get separation. Uh, I buy the jump shot being there at some point in his career. I think he's just really good. Like I'm not real worried about it.
1: And do you think the upside is comparable to Anthony Edwards and LaMelo ball just to tie up this conversation between these three?
0: I would say that the reason I have Edwards at number one is that I think his upside exceeds those two because his intersection of power and explosiveness is and shooting ability is genuinely special. Uh, it is different than most guard prospects I've evaluated in the past. Um, and, and that gives him a higher upside, I think, right now. And look, this thing throughout the year is going to be a moving target. We're through a third of the college basketball season. <laughs> it is very possible that Anthony Edwards like just never becomes the efficient monster that we hope he can become. Nonetheless, what I see from him right now, I think he has the best upside of any of those three guys. And that is the tiebreaker for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Um, I, I just want to get more general philosophy because I think that's a little bit more interesting. And to wrap up Wiseman and Ball, this is kind of why I asked the question in context. with. Yeah, we never Edwards really talked and- about James, did we? <laughs> I, that's the, That was the key part to me is marrying this idea of are you betting on an initiator? Or are you betting on a big? And I don't want to draw parallels 2018 because the class was much different. There's a lot more certainty in my opinion. Like you said, there's it's, it's more high variance in this class, but if you're if you are rolling the dice and we've already explained, you know, in detail, James Wiseman, where you're expecting the ceiling upside is with his interior defense as a defensive anchor, as right. far as protecting the rim rebounding. And I'm, I'm just more curious on the philosophy of you look at LaMelo ball, maybe the likelihood of him reaching that initiator upside is less than the likelihood of James Wiseman becoming like a like premier defensive interior big but wouldn't you rather bet on the initiator to move the needle for your team than a big in that same situation as far as d- like interior defense especially
0: well it's kind of an expected value problem right so like sure let's say that I think LaMelo Ball ha- let's like rate every NBA player on a scale to 100 right like just something like that like James Harden Giannis Tetacumpo are hundreds um, you know, Al Horford is an 85, uh, you know, going down the list to where Davis Bertans is like a 65, 60, something like that, and, and just like continue to go down the list, right? Um, let's say that I think Lamella Ball has a 10% chance to be a like 90 uh, player, right? That's like, you know, saying he has a plus 0.9 value just from superstar potential, basically, right? Um, In James Wiseman's case, I think that the likelihood of him being an 80 is probably, let's say, twice as high as I think LaMelo Ball's likelihood is of being a superstar level player. Uh, And I think that I would rather have, and this is just right now, like, again, if LaMelo Ball comes back and (laughs) dominates the NBL again and James Wiseman returns to college basketball and shits the bed... Uh, this is just based off of what I've seen at lower levels from Wiseman and from like a couple games that he played in college. I think he has a very good chance to be a legitimate defensive stopper in the NBA.
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair for an upside. I'm I'm more interested in like, like you noted, kind of the confidence interval with these guys and how you connect the dots as far as I, I see a lot of people in their draft evaluations, like they'll say, I got the draft. I, I got the individual evaluation, right. But where you struggle is connecting the dots to value in the league. And that's kind of what I'm curious about with this conversation is even if LaMelo ball has a 10% chance of being this, I'm just going to go very rudimentary percentages, like 10% chance of being a superstar initiator versus maybe Wiseman has a 20% chance of being a defensive stopper in the interior. Wouldn't you rather and, for, but, oh, but here's,
0: here's the thing with Wiseman too. Like my upside for James is not just like, he is your run of the mill defensive stopper in the NBA, like a like Steven Adams was a top ten defensive stopper, probably is still a top ten defensive stopper inside uh for Oklahoma City for many years now. I think Wiseman is his upside is legit like defensive player of the year potential. I think he is so Gobert. good as a stopper inside. Like I think he is like small step lower than Gobert, level talented. On defense,
1: yeah, which you kind of have to, I think, again, to justify him in the top three, in my opinion, personally, and unless you like think very, very lowly of someone like Lamelo or Cole Anthony, for example, I just think it's important to suss that out. Like for me personally, I would take, and I'm not going to again draw too much into 2008 team, but I would personally take, you know, a 10% chance at an initiator to really move the needle for your team if you think Lamelo can potentially be that over a more certain you know, big in the modern game, even though I do agree. I don't know if I fully agree that he can be like this defensive anchor to your team. Like, I think it exists. I'm not sure about the percentage of likelihood. I want to see more wise like we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum in the past, as far as giving a bigger evaluation sample. I just think for the listeners, it's important to kind of like why you're making these decisions is more important to me than the actual decision itself, if that makes sense.
0: No, I think that, That's a hundred percent right. And before I let you ask the next question, I want to get an ad in real quick. Um, (laughs) Shout out to keeps two of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time that they're 35. And who boy, that forming that big board that I released yesterday did not help matters. Uh, With today's advancements in science, Keeps offers proven treatments that can combat the symptoms of hair loss and help you keep the hair you have all at half the cost of your local pharmacy. You don't have to go broke to avoid going bald. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA approved hair loss products out there. Some of you may have tried them before, but... Probably never for this price. Plus, Keeps now offers a prescription shampoo to keep your scalp healthy, too. Prevention's the key. Keeps' treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. The sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So act fast. I have a call to action for you now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to Keeps.com slash Game theory to receive your first month of treatment for free. That's key. That's k e e p s dot com slash game theory. K e e p s dot com slash game theory. Keeps dot com. You're gonna get your first month of treatment for free. Don't go bald. You don't. You don't have to go bald. There's no. There's no reason for that to happen in your life. Just go to keeps dot com slash game theory. Oh man, that ad was. I don't know what happened. I think that I'm in. I think that I'm in guest mode right now, and I just was thrown off in terms of having to read an ad.
1: It's all different on this podcast, man. I've. I don't think I've asked questions like this ever on a podcast. I've almost always been on the opposite side of the uh, spectrum here, so this is kind of interesting.
0: I love it. This is this is enjoyable. Let's do more.
1: Let's do it. Um,
0: let's continue to move down
1: if, if we're good with that. Uh, yep. You've already addressed Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey at five. I don't think we need to go too much more into the methodology behind that. I am curious in this next tier, you kind of <laughs> denoted six to 16. Let's start with just the guards and, okay. you know, tail, Mal- tail out, at seven. RJ Hampton at nine. Um, I'm going to exclude Tyrese Halliburton from this for now. Um, Nick Manning at 14, Killian Hayes at 16. What sure. is your kind of strategy? What 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 is your methodology for having the players ordered this way? Because they're not all back to back. Like you have them kind of dispersed throughout the tier. H- how is your thought process there?
0: I do. It's kind of funny. You know, I just looking at this now, it's actually kind of ranked based off of how I would rank them athletically, right? Like I think Teo's quickness and his uh, ability to kind of buzz in and out of the lane, like, and be able to play up tempo in transition and out on the break. And, you know, he's not really a grab and go guy, but like he makes sure and gets the outlet pass super quick and tries to sprint up the court for Oswell. Like I would say he's probably the best athlete of this group. He hasn't had like an incredible year. He dealt with an injury. I, think it was like a wrist or a hand injury to start the year so I think he's just getting back from there but like from what I saw from him last season I was very impressed with that level of athleticism the ability to uh get out on the break finish and be able to even like run an offense in the half court as well he was more of a distributor in the half court than he was uh you know some high level scorer or anything but I actually really like What I saw from him last year, and I'm excited to see him as he continues to get back from injury and continue to get healthy and just see where he goes for Oswell. I mean, he's doing pretty well in Euroleague right now. Like, it's not like he is playing a low level of competition and uh, not performing. He is, he has been like Oswell's starting point guard or, you know, one of Oswell's starting point guards uh, for a Euroleague team. So he's been pretty good so far. RJ Hampton, I think that a lot of it is contextual with RJ. He's been again, pretty good playing in a professional league in the NBL. Uh, he is not tasked with nearly as much as Lamello is. Lamello is tasked with doing everything on that offense. RJ yeah. gets yanked around and pulled if he fucks up ever, uh, but given that situation, given the fact that he's been able to adjust, and given the fact that like he's been able to play pretty well in what has been a chaotic situation with the Breakers, uh, you know, like Matt Walsh just got suspended for a few games for arguing, I believe, over RJ getting ejected from that game uh, a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago. Uh, Glenn Rice ended up having to get caught for, for, I believe, some sort of like altercation in a nightclub or something. So he's been able to like kind of weather that storm and has been – Able to be almost a constant in a revolving door of chaotic nature, of a chaotic nature, right? So I like that. He's been an effective scorer for them. They've put him in a variety of roles. Uh, They've asked him to run some pick and rolls, like a secondary ball handler. He's been pretty good. I think he's just done a good job of playing a role in a way that is not as easy to do in the NBL as you would think, given the fact that we've seen guys like Terrence Ferguson, we've seen guys like Brian Bowen struggle to step into that role and succeed. So having said that, I do worry about the upside with RJ. Like, I, I don't know that I'm seeing it right now. To be honest, Uh, I'm not sure that he is like a legit starting level lead initiator. I see him as more of like a secondary ball handler who is going to be a really, really good offensive player uh, at this stage. You said to skip Halliburton, Nico Mannion, the problem with Nico, I wrote about him today. Um, The reason I have Nico a little bit lower is something you and I have talked about in the past. He still has only taken three shots at the basket and it's really hard to be effective as a primary offensive initiator. Unless you are someone who can get to the basket, get into the lane, buzz in and out of the lane consistently. We just haven't seen that yet from Nico. He does have a really good floater game to supplement that. But a lot of what I see from Nico is a lot of what I see from Monte Morris. Elite level decision maker, puts the ball right on the numbers every time. Really good in dribble handoffs. Uh, fluid jumper that will be effective at the next level is like a 38 to 40% three-point shooter but I don't know that I see that next level athleticism be able to break it down uh, defense consistently. We'll see. That could change throughout the course of the season. Uh, He's impressed me more than what I expected, even like he's averaging 15, five and five or something like that. He's been really good this year. And then Killian Hayes, again, I would say is the athleticism question and the functional way that he uses the athleticism. Uh, He is like, I know that his numbers in, um, in Europe have been pretty good on a counting basis. He is still like turning the ball over pretty substantially while not knocking down threes. And that has kind of always been the rub, right? Uh, He is a guy that has never really been much of a three point shooter, uh, despite being like a good free throw shooter. And if you mix a guy that is not a good three point shooter with a guy who turns the ball over pretty consistently, even though he's playing at an exceedingly high level in Euro cup competition, Um, I just worry about how he gets offense efficiently at the next level, despite the fact that he is an elite level decision maker. Uh, I think in terms of keeping the ball moving on offense, I think he tries to go for the home run a little bit too often. And I think his handle can be a little bit too loose and that's where you see the turnovers come in. But I think he actually does have a good feel for the game in regard to knowing where to put the ball and knowing how to play defense as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, he's an awesome pick-and-roll passer as well, one of the more advanced guys in this class. So if I could summarize kind of your general outlook here for I, these guards. Yeah, let,
0: let, let me. I would say that a lot of it is based on what I think is the ability to get separation and get into okay. the paint. Um, you know, like, what What would we say? One of these guys can shoot realistically, maybe two in RJ. Um, RJ and Nico. Nico can certainly shoot, but RJ... Can shoot at a higher level, I would say, than both Killian Hayes and Teo Maladone. Um, I think that based on how they're ordered right now, I would argue I have ordered them based on the ability to get consistent separation as potential lead guards at the next level.
1: Yeah. And especially getting, it sounds like getting to the rim is definitely featured here as far as that goes. Consistent
0: separation going forward. Yeah. Yes. So,
1: because I do find it kind of interesting. And and by the way, like, I think that these guys are all in the same tier for me. I haven't decided a specific order yet. It's just kind of interesting because I feel like Maladon and Hampton have the least, discernible skills of, of the group. Like, they're pretty good at a lot of different things. They don't have Nico shooting, which I think is more advanced as far right. as off-movement, off-the-catch, like, like you noted, off-the-dribble. And then Killian Hayes, who I feel like might be the best pick-and-roll passer of the group. But again, if you can't really create the separation, if you can't get to spots, if you can't finish, even though Killian is, is big, like he's 6'6", and he's strong, has good physical tools, but not the best burst. It's just kind of an interesting way to go about it because I'm, I think you're going to see a lot of deviation um, between different sites, between different analysts, on especially this group of four. For a lot of people, Tyrese Maxey will be a part of this discussion. You've you've had him a little bit higher, so do I, um, just for reference. But I I do think it's interesting how guys are going to rank these guys because a lot of sites are going to have, you know, Nico maybe even five or six, frankly, with the shooting. It depends on what kind of player you think he is. Like, we've talked a little bit on the last podcast. Is he going to be more of like this – maybe Devontae Graham type of guy who just takes a ton of threes can really pass. Some guys think that Steve Nash is in his range of outcomes. Do you see that at all for his upside?
0: I personally do not. Um, I, I don't yeah. see the hip flexibility uh, to be able to like be shifty and create separation. Um, I mean, like Steve Nash is like a once in a generation passer. Like I think Nico's a, great passer and like a basketball genius, yes. but like there's there's like a line of demarcation there in terms of being Steve <laughs> Nash as the passer. Um yeah I don't see that. Uh I think Trey is a lot closer to the Steve Nash comp than Nico yes. is. And I think in large part it's because of the ability to get low, create separation, you know, have a quick first step. Have the shiftiness that you need because I I don't really see the first step or the shiftiness uh, on an elite level from Nico that I think you need to be able to be someone that buzzes underneath the paint consistently or underneath the basket consistently like Steve Nash
1: he doesn't win on the margins. He doesn't have all the tricks like Steve and, and Trey does, in my opinion, not to the same extent maybe as Nash yeah. in certain ways. But Nico, I I don't think there's as much nuance to his game. So I would agree there. But I, I, again, think just for the listeners to to get the gist of like this range, more sure. like ceiling level starter-esque players, in your opinion. I mean, yeah. I asked the Nico Nash question just to, just to suss that out, even though it was already answered by your ranking. Like if you thought there was actual Steve Nash equity, he would have been a lot yeah. higher on your board. I just think it's important to contextualize
0: right no no question um yeah i don't see any of these guys as likely like all-stars or anything like that um just kind of don't to be honest like the more that i look at this ranking the closer i am to just putting like tyrese halliburton at like six or seven <laughs> like, oh,
1: 2020 <laughs> draft baby <laughs> yeah
0: like I just feel co- like I feel more confident that Tyrese Halliburton is an NBA player than I do any of these guys. Um, I don't know that he has the upside that they do. Uh, like if Teo hits, like Teo has a real chance cause he can already run a team. Um, he has just better athletic explosiveness. He has a better first step. Like there, there is just a higher ceiling there. And I think that it's harder to kind of pass that up, I guess. Um, the more the more I think about it, the more I probably should have Tyrese Halliburton ahead of RJ Hampton, though. Interesting. Um,
1: quick question about Denny Avdia. Have- given
0: that we're recording this before this actually gets released, there is a non-zero chance I just put Tyrese Halliburton ahead of RJ Hampton.
1: I dig it. Um, I think you might be you might come out the highest on him, even though I think ESPN has them 10, so you're going to be just slightly over them. Uh, quick question about Denny Avdia. Like,
0: hold on, time out. It's not even like I am like wildly high on... <laughs> is a player it's just like what the fuck is this draft
1: (laughs) yeah that's kind of what builds into my next question with that dia having him six i think that's pretty commonplace frankly but is that a vote of confidence that you think the shooting is there or is that more the class
0: definitely more the class um on some level it does have to be a vote of confidence that the shooting is there just because if you're going to have him that high uh i think it's basically impossible to make a case for him that high, unless you think the shooting will be there at some point. Um, yeah, look, I think he's a really good player. I think his feel for the game is off the charts. Uh, I like the way that he makes plays defensively. Uh, he's not like some elite level, uh, on ball defender or anything, but he does know where to be off ball as a, uh, 18 year old playing Euroleague competition already. He's not playing a crazy role or anything for uh, Maccabi, especially in those Euroleague games. Like his bigger roles come when they play in the Israeli league. Um, he's actually been pretty good in the Israeli league as well. Uh, he's certainly yep. shooting better in the Israeli league and is you know acting as more of a point forward in those games. He's averaging nine points and six rebounds a game with a couple assists. Like he's uh, not turning the ball over as much in the or uh, as much as we've seen early in the season for him. So what I liked from him is that we're seeing consistent growth from him throughout the course of the season. He's earning more minutes, even though he's earning more minutes um, in a lower competition. The fact that he's getting more of them, I think is commendable. And I've liked what I've seen enough from his shooting and from his, uh, ability to get to the basket and score and ability to make decisions that I think he can be a starting caliber, like Dario Sarician, and, and like, they're very different players in the way that they play. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that like they're similar, but like, I think that that's like kind of the level is like a guy who can be a starting small forward, power forward that makes quick decisions. And, can knock down shots from distance and play like solid off ball defense. While in his case, maybe not getting as roasted as Sharich does defensively when he's on the ball and in switch scenarios.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he's a better lateral athlete. There's some, some nuance we can go into differentiators between the two. Um, I think overall, like looking at this area, yeah, of the draft, like I,
0: I don't think they're similar players at all. I just mean yeah. in terms of like value wise. Yes, like Dario is a established NBA starter uh, and has earned the right to be considered an established NBA starter. Uh, I see that as ideas like future basically
1: so just based on your rankings here would it be fair to say you think kind of the 6 to fourteen, six to 15 range is kind of the weak spot of the draft as far as value like i feel like for me personally that's the area like i I would take maxi at five i i feel good doing that i would take maxi at four frankly but outside of that would you look to maybe trade out or trade down or something would that be the area of the draft that you'd focus on doing that
0: um it's a good question I think the answer would be it would depend on the offer. I would be much more open to trading a pick in this range in 2020 than I would be in the 20. I didn't even like this range in the 2019 draft, to be honest. Um, I would say I would be more willing to trade a pick in this range than I was, for instance, in the 2018 or 2017 NBA drafts.
1: Yeah, no, I think I definitely agree with that. I just wanted to get that out there. Jaden McDaniels this is going to be a more straightforward question just sell me on Jaden McDaniels at eight.
0: Um, six ten, athletic wing. I think his athletic fluidity is actually held up to an extent that I did not expect in the half court this season. Like he looks, his level of strength, uh, was my significant concern. How would he hold up having to deal with people hitting him again or hitting up against him every time that he drove into the lane? I think he's actually doing pretty well with that so far. Uh, So far this year, I know that he hasn't been super efficient finishing around the basket. I'm hoping that the increased space of the NBA game, especially in comparison to what we see at Washington, because at Washington, like, he just doesn't have much room to operate, right? Like, Washington is shooting 32% from three this year. Like, Naziah Carter and Kwade Green are really their only guys who uh, are consistently hitting shots, right? And, like, Kwade is even at 33% right now. So my theory is that as he gets bigger and stronger and as he uh, gets into a better situation with wider driving lanes, theoretically, he can be the kind of like wing four that can really uh, be a high upside player at the next level. Uh, you watch guys like Pascal Siakam right now. Like that's the prototype that everyone's looking for in the NBA. It seems like, I mean, McDaniels has the, that upside it's just whether or not he can realize it uh in these guys it tends to be a light bulb that turns on pretty quick actually like it's not it's not a linear curve for these guys or at least it tends not to be it tends to be uh you know you hit a you rise you hit a plateau for a little while while you try and figure out how to um play through strength and play through contact and then once you get bigger and stronger you rise up again, you hit a plateau again, as you continue to, uh, or after you get bigger and stronger, you have to improve your skill set in terms of getting used to shooting the ball again and getting used to a bunch of different factors, right. Relearning the way that your body moves after you put on weight. Right. Uh, so you hit a plateau while you're doing that and then continue to grow after that for a while. So look like I, I don't think that it's a certainty that Jaden McDaniels is even like an effective NBA player. But what I do know is that his upside, if everything comes together and he figures it out, this dude's a fucking monster. If he figures it out, Uh, the fact that he is already able to deal with the contact and stay on balance and stay with the athletic fluidity that he's been able to play with so far this year is different. Like it's just, it's better than what I anticipated coming into this year.
1: So you're viewing his upside more in like a slashing sense rather than like a pull-up sense or is it both i I just there's there's some shot makers and then there's guys who really get to the rim like what part of the continuum does he fall on that or is it just a little bit of both
0: a little bit of both i would say okay um i am i would say i was more excited about his pull-up game coming into college uh i am a little bit less excited about it now um i'm a little bit more excited about his driving game from what i saw at lower levels uh in comparison to what i've seen in college so it is, he's a complicated evaluation, man. Like he is one of the most difficult evaluations and he's one where I haven't done all the background Intel work on him by any stretch of the imagination yet. Like I haven't, I've started it a little bit, but like he's going to be the one where NBA teams are going to figure out what makes this guy tick. What is his work ethic? How willing is he to improve? How willing is he to stay in the gym? You know, is he a guy that likes to go out partying? Is he a guy that likes to do this, that, and the other thing? Um, If he is willing to really work at it, the tools are there for him to be like everything that the NBA is looking for in terms of like a playmaking four
1: okay so you view him more in like a four sense and I just there's some divergent opinions on what the actual evaluation of him is like a lot of people think he's more safe as like this guy who's a capable floor spacer who can play make a little bit from like a combo wing forward position and some people really believe in the, the high level upside as far as like what kind of what you were getting at as far as shot making and also getting to the rim with his tools I, I just think you're going to see some divergence there this year as far as the actual evaluation which we don't see a ton of at times like a lot of times people agree on like the value of a player i think this is a case where you might just disagree on the actual evaluation
0: well i would be interested to hear what you think he is then
1: I tend to fall more skeptically based on what I've seen. As far as I think he's going to be solid, uh, I think he's a good enough shooter. I, I don't think he's a. I don't think he moves the needle in really any respect. I think he can attack a closeout and use his length um, as far as extending and, and finishing in those settings. I, I don't think he has great burst. I have not been that at, maybe as impressed with his ability to take contact, even though relative to expectations, I think was mostly your point as far as yeah, doing it better than you thought.
0: Look, like he's not a guy that is you know able to absorb a hard foul and like finish up through that foul. Right. Like, but he is a guy that I expected to struggle with on drives. He gets bumped and it stops his momentum. Yeah. That hasn't really happened yet at this level yet. I said yet a lot.
1: Yeah, (laughs) no, definitely. I, I get where you're coming from. I'm just more skeptical, I guess on the upside, maybe a little bit higher on his floor. It's just For him, it's a little bit difficult. I do agree he's probably going to be one of the d- more difficult evaluations. He's one that we're going to need a bigger sample on. Like He was really yeah. good against the Baylor game. Like He was very active on defense. That's something that I've liked about him. Is some, of his, some of the splash plays that he makes as a rim protector, for example, like rotating down, utilizing his length, are very interesting. You've also gotten some parallels, people saying, oh, this is Jonathan Isaac, and I would be absolutely stunned if he ever reached that level he's in the defensive end. He's not because, that
0: guy defensively, no.
1: I agree. Bit. So that's what I'm just saying about the evaluation is just going to vary a lot with this guy. It's interesting because I, I get in theory why you have him eight, but I think a lot of people would – have different reasons for having him there, if that makes sense.
0: One other thing I've been impressed with with him is there have been these flashes of his playmaking and passing ability that I personally had not seen in person when I'd seen him in the past. Like he dished out five assists and I know he had five turnovers against Gonzaga too, but the flashes of his vision have been very, very good uh, when they've come through. That was the
1: thing that popped the most for me on top of the defensive energy is like the feel was better than I thought it was. And that's what got me initially and then he didn't play as well for you know a small amount of games. I've watched almost all of Washington's games thus far. It's been a little bit rocky for him, um, but I, I do think there's intrigue there for sure. And again, you have him number eight. I want to ask a quick question regarding another wing that we've already talked about, Isaac Okoro, and just tie that into a bigger philosophy point because you've said if Isaac Okoro shoots, he is kind of one of the best role players in the league potentially, like a guy who moves the needle potentially to winning basketball. Is that a fair yeah. characterization? Yeah, okay. I think so. So I think this is primarily where we differ in like connecting the dots and how we approach the draft is I tend to favor those guys more. Like, and I'll just take the risk of the shooting. Like Again, I don't think this is the same situation as someone like Brandon Clark who has had notice, noticeable touch. But I'll bet on those guys that I think if they do shoot in more of an execution catch-and-shoot style, if, if they're just okay – if their winning impact is so high, I'll do, I'll just favor in the draft. So I guess you have them 12th. I think that's very reasonable. That's probably what we're going to see. That's on the higher end of where you're going to see them ranked in a lot I, of different settings. So just yeah, speak of that winning thing. I, guess.
0: I, I was going to say, I would imagine that among like the bigger websites slash like public rankings, um, just yeah. given that like you guys don't do rankings, really, Um I would imagine that I'm probably the highest on him right now, right? Yeah, because re- like choices. I don't, I don't Absolutely. really look through. Yeah, like I don't really look through other people's boards because then it like starts to filter into my opinion, and I don't like that. Sure. Um, so, am I? Would you say I'm like the highest on him?
1: I would say you're up there. I mean, I, I think ESPN had him 15, and that's the highest I've seen him kind of encroach. There's a lot of sites that I'm like, you know, late 20s, early 30s. So I'd say yes. And just a to state accurately we do do rankings I think I just said we don't do boards we do do boards not mock drafts um, but not as precisely as far as specific order yet like we'll just have general tiers but uh, I I just think it's interesting because I do this this speaks to your point about how you rank and I do think you tend to lean more towards that side of things like being higher on the winning players than mainstream but I think this is again our biggest disconnect is I had Brandon Clark number three I don't know if that's going to be right but I will tend to take bigger dice rolls on them even than you who is above consensus when it comes to that
0: yeah i think that's 100 right and in the case of a i do have like some pretty real concerns about his offensive game even beyond the shooting um like his ball handling ability is not great like he can drive in a straight line and hit a kick out pass like he's he's a smart player and he has great feel for the game but we are still talking about like a kid who is 18 years old who if you put him into an nba game now he is a He is one of the 10 worst offensive players in the league, I think, from a skill perspective.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think his passing puts him too far above that, for me personally. Like, the guys who can really make extra passes, I I don't know if he'll be utilized, like, as, like, a short roll guy. I don't think he'll do that. It'll be more of a wing type. But just his ability to move the ball, I I think, helps him a lot. If he was a a complete non-passer, then I would agree.
0: Right, but to move the ball and, like, be effective as a passer you have to be able to really attack and like open up passing lanes. Right. Or I think that. in I'm like a closeout sh- sense and like a gap hitting an advantage
1: setting. Like I agree in like pick and roll or like isolation. I, I definitely agree with that. But if he's going to catch and quickly attack the rim and he has the athleticism to get to the basket quickly and he, he's shown good finishing acumen too. So I think he can put a little bit of pressure on, on the rim that way and, and make passes on the move, which a lot of guys can't do coming into the league.
0: See, like I don't think he's going to be able to do it at all from a closeout perspective early. Cause I don't think anyone's going to respect the shot. Everyone's just going to play him short and be able to try and absorb the contact with the strength. Right. Um, where he can make those plays is like off of off ball cuts. Like if he's on the baseline sitting in the dunker spot or, you know, baseline cuts from the three point line on the corner and then someone rotates down, he'll be able to find where that guy's rotating down and hit the kickout pass. But I don't, really think that in like in any on ball scenario, I don't think anyone's going to take him real seriously as like, a creator or as a shooter which is a significant problem
1: no i agree with that i don't think he's going to have gravity but i i think i'm a little higher in his ability to drive even when he gets short closeouts i think he's athletic enough and he's strong enough to kind of run into guys bodies and even get around guys still in that situation even with the lackluster handle but in advantage settings if he has a big enough space i think he can do it
0: and again this is just me saying right now i think at some point he's probably going to be able to do this hence why i have him at (laughs) twelve. Like if I, if I didn't think he'd be able to do this, I would have him more at like 25 or so. But I mean, like right now, like he is not great at even right now being able to like attack closeouts and be able to make plays happen. he's certainly not a shooter right now. So I worry about how he affects winning again. Like you and I talked about this, I think on, I don't remember if it was this podcast or the last podcast, but like the one thing that Daryl Morey said among many things that, you know, in that podcast with Bill Simmons on the Book of Basketball feed was you really have to be able to be a threat to score on offense in today's NBA. Otherwise, it's really hard to play you. In Okoro's case, I don't really know that that threat exists yet at the NBA level. And that's like the small thing that scares me is if the shot does not come along. I mean, he's not like an Andre Iguodala level playmaker. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that like, you know, he can't be a good, you know, drive and kick guy or anything. But like, you really got to be able to make things happen on the floor. And I don't know that, and that's with the ball in your hands. Like, you need to be able to attack and close that. You need to be able to knock down a shot. You need to be able to do something. And I don't know that he can do enough to be an actual threat on the floor on offense and not limit his team offensively.
1: Yeah, I think I'm a little higher on just the closeout aspect in space as like a gap player. I think he can sure. do a little bit, but I definitely agree that he doesn't I think have the dollars. That's another handled. good
0: place, too, actually. He's really good at just shooting gaps that he sees uh, after, you know, a guy, say his uh, ball handler, like a Samir Dowdy, gets past his man and a defender has to collapse. He's really good at shooting that gap, finding that hole where the defender has helped from yep. and taking that kickout pass and scoring at the rim or kicking out himself to another shooter. That's one thing that he is really good at. He's really good at reading where the open space is.
1: Yeah, and he, again, I don't think he's Iguodala. He's not that level of ball handler. And if you remember, like Philadelphia iteration of Iguodala, who actually did a ton off the dribble. I don't expect Acor to do that outside of like that ridiculous step back three flash. Like, there's a lot of moving parts of them. I just think it's more interesting. Where do you turn to as far as value when the class is so up in the air and so high variance? Not necessarily as far as upside, yeah. but as far as getting good basketball players, how do find that. And I think that's the most fascinating part of this range of the classes. You see some guys turn into a Nico Mannion. I, I might favor an Isaac Coro just because I feel like if he does shoot like that vaults him to like a winning player on a good team and how you kind of go about incorporating that into your draft analysis, I think is honestly one of the most fascinating components.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I think that the biggest part of this, like we've kind of gotten into the weeds on a Coro here, sure. but like I, th- the biggest part of the Isaac Coro evaluation is the shot. And I think that that's where we probably differ the most. I have more concerns about him being a shooter than you do.
1: Uh, I think that's probably fair. I, I've been persuaded an- enough by the touch to bet on. I am not like uber confident that he'll shoot. <laughs> but got- the, some of the flashes have been pretty promising. Like, again, not a lot of guys can make a step back three like he did against Davidson. Like, that was a pretty damn fluid shot. And it's only a flash, and it's very small sample. He was also like eight of nine from the foul line in his last game. So you see a little bit adding up in a positive fashion. But I don't think anybody's going to say, like, yes, this guy is gonna, going to force shoot, shoot three.
0: Right. And whenever I watch him, the thing that I get scared about most is he kind of shoots it upright through his legs and then has like kind of a shoulder hunch a little bit. And the ball ends up coming out on a pretty straight line. And, and not only does he have an arc problem because the ball comes out on a straight line, he misses directionally quite a bit as well. Uh, Like he, whenever he's in the left corner, he has a tendency to spray the ball to the right pretty consistently. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that worries me. The fact that it's a multifaceted adjustment mechanically, where not only does he have to get more arc on the shot, he has to figure out what's going on, uh, likely with his offhand interaction. I haven't looked at it close enough to know, but that tends to be the biggest reason why someone would miss right to left. Um, I would need to look at it just like slightly more closely to know why he's missing right to left. But the fact that there are multiple things is what worries me. Yeah,
1: and, and there are definitely multiple things. i talked about this on one of the past podcasts. Like he sh- he doesn't great great alignment. You see some of his shots. It's like a 10-toe shot where his elbow's yeah. not tucked in. You want to see him, you know, kind of skew his feet to an angle to get that elbow in. You also see him jump to the side. There's a lot to work on with his shot. It just goes down to me. Do you buy the touch? Like, do you buy the touch being good enough for him to eventually shoot execution, catch and shoot shoot threes. And I tend to give prospects more leeway than a lot of guys do. And I think, you know, at least short term, it's paid dividends with someone like Brandon Clark. And we'll kind of see if it does. And that's kind of the the dice roll that you make is like all these guys have flaws. It's just what specifically would you bet on? And I found in the past, like at least for the catch and shoot guys, like the dynamic pull-up guys, we know who those guys usually are outside of yeah. maybe like a Devontae Graham, who I don't know if I saw this coming, frankly, but with coral with guys like that are more execution shooters, it's just about executing catch-and-shoot looks. And you're mostly going to be open because teams aren't going to respect you. You have to make those shots.
0: And by the way, like, I love Brandon Clark. Again, I think of the mainstream, like, websites. I had Brandon Clark highest. <laughs> Having said that, we're talking about Brandon Clark as if he's, like, some shooter right now. He's taking 22 threes this year. He's taking one a game, basically. I, I like Brandon a lot, and I am very excited by the fact that he has been so awesome to start his career. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, I think Brandon's a definite shooter yet. Like, I think there are very real questions to still be answered there. Sure. I mean, I, I don't
1: think you can say anything, Definitively, like he's for sure going to, but you would say at least thus far the returns right. are definitely positive. I mean, he's eighty three yes. percent from the foul line too, and his touch level is I mean, his touch level is on a different level than I think a core That's the problem with Clark is totally like, he doesn't apply to most players because he finishes he's like the most efficient player in the NBA this year. Like he's in his touch is insane.
0: Totally agree with you on that. And then with Brandon too, like the funny thing is that you know when Brandon was at San Jose State, like the roles with him and a weren't like crazy different. Like Brandon was more of like a wing 4 at San Jose State in the way that coro was like kind of a wing 4 who yep. guards up and down the lineup. And you could kind of see those like the floater flashes with Brandon at San Jose State and you could see the dynamic ball handling ability flashes at San Jose State, um especially late in his freshman season and then obviously all throughout the sophomore season. Uh with Coro it's it's hard because we haven't, he's starting at a higher competition level and he's starting with 95 more, 95 times as much talent around him at Auburn than Clark had at San Jose State. But I like, I like more of what I saw from Clark at San Jose State, I think, than what I've seen, what I've seen of acoro so far with the knowledge that acoro has a better frame and better body uh, and slightly better power throughout that body than what we've seen from Clark so far.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I I will just say my last point, a lot of the thing about Coral, because you've gotten really into the weeds with him, is how the degree of what you think his defense is going to be. Is he full stopper level? Is he a a level down from that? We we talked about
0: this last night a little bit, yeah.
1: We texted about it, yeah. And I will add something like – it's hard to contextualize prospects. It's probably the hardest thing to do. But go back and watch, and this is going to be a negative on this player, but go back and watch Iguodala against Kansas in the tournament game of his freshman year, and yeah. you're like, okay, this guy's somewhat interesting, right? Like, he wasn't like, he didn't pop as much as you think he would. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to, like, fully. And Iguodala, of course, went back to Arizona and developed more. That's another thing with prospects, is when you come out, when you develop in school, certain elements of your skill game are probably better spent staying in school. But I, I do think, again, like, just because. Acoro isn't a complete juggernaut out of the gate. Doesn't mean he's not going to be like a very impactful defender. But I, I do think a lot of the analysis falls on: Do you think he can be like this full-time wing like a lot of people thought DeAndre Hunter is? Do you think he can be better than that? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And in Acoro's case, like I texted you this last night, like the problems that I see with Acoro on occasion that worry me are that like these six foot five only semi-athletic white dudes on Davidson are like driving him to the basket. Occasionally Uh, that stuff worries me whenever I see that Um, you brought up the idea that, he might be like a touch heavier than he's been in the past because uh, I agree with you. Like I've seen quick twitch from him before in terms of being able to flip his hips and he does look quite a bit heavier. We'll see. We'll see if he can like slightly adjust that hip flexibility and be able to turn his hips and be able to um, change direction. Because I think that's the big thing right now that is holding me back from thinking he is like some, you know, defensive player of the year or all defense level candidate in the NBA. I think he's like an awesome level defender and has a chance to be that high. But like, I would really, really feel that way if he was some on ball stopper that I felt like I could throw onto a wing and he would dominate him. I don't know that I'm there yet, but I like the versatility of being able to point a Coro at the point of attack being able to plop him on to like true four men and he can use his strength to like knock them off the block. Um, I love one thing that I brought up with you last night too, is I love that he really tries to disrupt exchanges, be it just like a normal ball screen, be it a dribble handoff. Yep. Like he tries his ass off to get in the middle of that and really just bother uh, those exchanges. And that's like a hard thing to do. And that's not a normal thing for 18 year olds to do early.
1: Yeah, exactly right. I, I I guess my last on the core would be I agree. I think he's lost. He just looks a touch less reactive on the ball as far as mobility, with with that strength at it. From what I remember of his high school tape, and like more of a twitchy kind of movement. He just doesn't have quite that. Extent like again, I think we t- texted about this. It's not like Nasir Little, where I felt like Nasir lost a lot of movement as far as fluidity and everything when he added that strength post high school circuit. He's looked like a different athlete to me. Like Okoro isn't yeah. that, like he's still very good, but I just don't think he's that top level that I that I saw or I remember seeing at lower levels.
0: Sure, no, I think that's true. All
1: right, let's uh, we, we have to close on this as far as the bigs here because that's kind of what. The emphasis was kind of the build-up for this was talking about Isaiah Stewart, for example. You have him 13, Obi and 10. You have. Let me just ask a clarifying question, really quick, about tier. So you have a Kongwu in the next tier, right? Or or would you cut that off after a Kongu? Where's the cutoff there?
0: Yeah, to be honest, I threw out 16 as like a number. Um, <laughs> like we could throw out 19, 20. Like he's somewhere a Kongwu okay. is. Like I don't think there's a massive difference between Isaiah Stewart and. Anyaka Okogwu, put it that way.
1: That was what I was basically getting at. So I guess just from Toppin to Stewart to Okogwu, just talk about those three prospects in relation to each other. Like, what do you think? Are we looking more towards like a low-level starter? Do you think any of these guys will actually start in the NBA? Will it be at the four for Toppin? Will it be at the five for these other guys? And just kind of go into depth of that.
0: I think Toppin might be a legit starter. Um, his... Offensive skill set, like you could, I wrote about him for today as well uh, and went into more detail at The Athletic, but like, I feel like you could throw him into an NBA game right now and he would be an incredibly effective offensive player, just as like a role player. Uh, He can put the ball on the floor, he can knock down shots and like, I really buy the jump shot. Like, I I assume you also really buy the jump shot, right? Because those mechanics are fucking beautiful.
1: Yeah, one motion for big like that, that can shoot with that kind of fluidity, not even the advanced shot making. We saw that in Maui where he had like a behind the back where he hop back into a corner three. You don't see that from six, nine guys with his build and his position. But even just the fluidity of the shot overall, like you don't see a lot of one motion releases from players his size.
0: Right. Totally agree with you. Um And it's even more than that. Like it's the body control, the dexterity. Like he had a tip dunk against, I think it was like Indiana state where he started on the ground, happened to just like jump as the ball came off the rim and grabbed it with his left hand and tip dunk it like his offhand. It was absurd. Um, He is a guy that like, I look at athletically and in terms of his just ability to make shit happen. And how he's quick off the floor and the body control and the fluidity and like this ball skill. Like I wonder if like he is one of these like very special late bloomers that just like continue to grow and develop. Like he is, he is terrifyingly good offensively.
1: Yeah. When we did that podcast on Maui and stuff, I think I surmised that he was the best offensive big in the class. And I feel good about that. Like I do think he's the most well-rounded like he I think it's just a lot of that is it's not like a high bar <laughs> like a lot of the bigs in this class aren't very good like Okago is good it's like a spread pick and roll finisher like he's very good around anything around the basket's got good touch but he can't dribble and he can't shoot as nearly as convincingly as Obi can Wiseman's more of a defensive prospect Stuart, it depends on what you think Stuart's outcome range is we can talk about that in a second but I do think that I think you're right. Toppins Top, kind of the most well-rounded offensive player. He's very diverse in counting how he adds to Dayton's offense as well. We've talked about that, you know, off the air as far as like Dayton's an awesome watch this year. One, probably the best offense in the country plays a little bit of a pro style and, and Toppins versatility is a big cog in that.
0: Yeah, totally agree with you. Um, let's talk about Isaiah Stewart. And yes. I understand that I I apologize for taking control of the podcast for a second. This is, this is your rodeo. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I liked Isaiah a lot more than you did coming into the year. I am wavering a little bit. Um, the reason that he remains as high as he is on my board is because he has been the best player in six of Washington's nine games. And certainly in the second half of the Baylor game on top of that, where you completely fucking shut down the lane and made it impossible for Baylor to really do a whole heck of a lot, um, inside that is. Also, you talk to NBA scouts, and I wrote this to The Athletic. They go to practices, and like he's just like shooting, from what I understand. Like he can actually shoot the ball. And like you and I have talked about that in the past. Like we think he's probably going to be a shooter. From what I understand, like he is basically a shooter already, which is important to his evaluation. Because if you think he can be like a pick and pop, pick and dive scorer, that kind of changes the calculus a little bit. If he can knock down shots, he is potentially like a starting offensive center. Now the reason he is dropped on my board is I feel bad saying this. Like I like him. Like I like him a lot as a person. Like I talked to him for like 15 minutes at hoop summit. He's like an awesome kid. Like he is super nice, super fun. um, Very energetic. He is also a kid that every time I had seen him play for the most part, we'll say largely when I see him play, he plays with a high motor. What happened against Gonzaga and like, Some of the defensive stuff I've seen this year from him in terms of just effort level, in terms of getting his hand up to contest shots around the basket or uh, just getting finished over in the case of like Philip Petrushev, right? Just like finishing over this over him with like hook shots and stuff. That stuff concerns me uh, to an extent that I think it's impossible to not drop him from like the top 10. Basically my comp coming into the year was like a slightly bigger Montrez Herald. Harrell. I kind of still think that's the comp, but the defense being as bad as it is continues to concern me, uh, even to a greater extent than it did coming into the year.
1: I definitely agree on the defense. I was always kind of lower on his impact protecting the rim. I think even when he did try just using the Gonzaga game, as as a point of reference here like he couldn't get to balls like there was like probably five times where he actually did make the right quick read in the rotation he just doesn't have the pop to get up and get those at his size like he does have great length but he's just not see i guess that's the biggest differentiator between us and his evaluation is you've you've said Harold. i don't think he's that level of athlete i think that's a kongwu i don't think they're the same player but i think a kongwu is on that level of athleticism and isaiah stewart is a, a whole tier down as far as his quick leaping ability this is just general explosiveness i haven't really seen that on on either end of the floor so that's why i'm a little bit down on him honestly I do reasonable
0: to be honest like you're definitely reasonable on that
1: so i do think i think there's probably a little bit more skill game than he's not being allowed to show at washington because yeah. I can kind of echo what you said about people that go to practices. They see him like handle the ball better. He the shooting we've always kind of said is probably there. I don't know if he's gonna be like a a real shooter. There's a difference between being capable of making shots, which I think he's gonna be, and being like a legitimate shooter. I, I don't know about that. He doesn't have those kinds of like elite big man mechanics that I look for. But he, I think this skill game is probably a little underrated. I, I just so do you think an NBA team is going to feel comfortable starting him? Because even a Harold type, like where he's made his money is as a third big. He's an awesome third big. Like he brings like starter value, as far as like how he is as a player. Do you think a team's going to feel comfortable starting Isaiah Stewart at the at the five? Because like we both talked about, this isn't a in situation where teams are probably going to feel comfortable starting topping at the four. I think Stewart's a straight five.
0: So yeah, I think he's a straight five. Like no. No arguments there. Definitely a straight five. Um, I think it does ultimately come down to where he falls in as a rim protector. Um, Given the length, I do just naturally think there is some upside there. Uh, Then again, i made the same argument with Jaleel Okafor. And I don't think Stewart is starting from the same low place that Okafor was necessarily. Um, But I do think that, like, given the fact that he is a thick chested dude who has all sorts of strength, who has all sorts of length. What worries me most, and this is something that we're not going to see from him uh, this season because they're just, he's just not going to have the uh, pick and roll defensive possessions for us to get this tape. Space defense. Well, I was, I was not even going to say space defense. Well, in a sense it is. It's how, I assume he's always going to be a drop big, right? In pick and roll. So. How does the biggest thing that someone like Brooke Lopez does exceedingly well and why he has been, you know, one of the 15 best defenders in the NBA this season so far is he accepts contact and stays big exceedingly well. Um, Yes. And just has that requisite level of quickness to get his body in front of a driving ball handler and force that guy to go into his body and then use the length to affect the shot. I don't know that Stewart has that requisite level of quickness laterally to be able to get in front like that and be able to affect the shot by absorbing contact and just being bigger and stronger than and longer than guards that are coming in to attack him. And the explosive interesting point. And the explosiveness to like be able to take two slides to the right or Yeah, it doesn't matter. Take two slides to the right. (laughs) Ball handler's coming in uh, on a drive with his left hand. Can he jump up, stay vertical, absorb contact, use his length, affect that shot? Or is the guard able to turn the corner on him and get to the basket?
1: Yeah, I'm just more interested to see if he can really be an impediment as a drop guy. Cause Brooke Lopez is huge. Like that's the thing about some of these drop guys. And that's sure. why I can get the yeah. argument for Wiseman because Wiseman is just incredibly difficult to finish over. Um, What's Stuart going to be like as an impediment there? I had the same question about a Kongwu, by the way. It's just like, if you're going to drop into the paint, like, how can you Seward, really.
0: Seward is much gut- stronger than a Kongwu, though. Yes.
1: I agree, but he's also not as good of a leaper. He's not as good of a shot blocker. So there's like, there's some trade offs when it comes to that. Like, if, if Stuart goes vertical and like he can absorb the chest bump, I think he can probably do that okay. But can he jump high enough to really extend and deter these guys? Because again, he's not like 7'2, he's like 6'9 with a 7'2". Seven foot four wingspan like he's not huge so that's kind of where like where are you going to play him in pick and roll like where is his best Uh, a lot of people would say that's probably his best role but those guys that typically are great drop defenders are bigger
0: right so like isaiah stewart has a nine foot one standing reach uh brooke lopez is a nine foot five standing reach right like there's the difference right um yes for me if he can get there i think he can probably be okay I'm more worried about him getting there and sliding over and being able to cut off guys like I would imagine that Yusuf Nurk let me look up Yusuf Nurkic's standing reach like yeah Yusuf Nurkic has a nine one and a half standing reach Yusuf Nurkic in Portland's scheme was also like a pretty good rim protector last year in like a drop coverage scheme because he's strong he doesn't get knocked off of his line he figured out how to use his verticality and how to affect shots that's kind of the model that I'm hoping for with Stewart is he gets to the right situation to where they can teach him the right mechanics to be able to slide, cut off penetration and not get the corner turned on him and then use that strength and physicality to be able to affect a shot.
1: Yeah. That's, I think that's fair from him like a standing reach standpoint, but Yusuf again, there's just more surface area. The guy's seven foot and he's like 275 pounds. Like he's just huge. Like I, I just don't get that same kind of size. Like, Stewart doesn't pop to me like that as far as his physical stature. He's just not that much of an impediment.
0: Interesting. Have you seen him in person yet? I have not. Go down, because you live right there. Like, go yeah. down to a Washington game and see how thick he is. It, like, his his chest and his, like, he is massive. Like, he, I'm not saying he's like Yusuf Nurkic thick, but like, it's it's a little bit different than your typical six foot nine dude.
1: No, I agree with that. You could see that on tape. Like, he's very thick. I just don't – I guess it's more just the height. Like, he just doesn't have intimidating size. And, like, I do notice that on the floor. Like, he gets finished over the top of – some of that's effort, but some of that's just he's not huge. He has a a good standing reach, but he's not, like, a super, super – dynamic physical impediment um especially in drop like if you get somebody that's like running straight at him i don't know how much he's like he can absorb the chest bump i think he can take a shoulder drop i just don't know how like if a guy can extend over the top of him or around him or just run a little bit through him and just kind of destabilize his momentum i I don't know i just he doesn't pop to me that that way
0: and by the way like we're like arguing about this right now i'm getting closer to being on your side of this (laughs) perspective like i am i am like really concerned about his potential to protect the rim based off of what i've seen so far um i'm basically making the case for what i think the upside is yes uh it is certainly not like he's certainly not there yet in terms of having reached this and i am much more concerned based off of what i've seen so far from him uh early in this season than i was coming into the year so like we're We're closing in on being more on the (laughs) same page on this, Uh, more than we're diverging. Like with a I think there's a real chance that we like diverge throughout the course of the year. If he starts to like really not shoot it and there continue to be like issues in right to left misses and, you know, very low arc on the jump shot. Right. Sure. On Stewart, like we're getting closer. To being on the same page here because his defense is concerning me in a significant, significant manner. So,
1: yeah, just to wrap up, Stuart, then, as far as like his upside, like what do you think his upside is? Are we talking about average ish starting center or how would you mm-hmm. categorize that?
0: <laughs> Maybe bottom 10 starting center if he can defend. Okay. Because, again, like a big part of this is I think he's probably more skilled offensively in pick and roll settings than what he's shown so far. Let's say he can be a good pick and roll center who can occasionally take advantage of a mismatch on the block, um, who can knock down shots from distance. Right. And then if he can reach some sort of defensive ceiling can be a let's say average ish rim protector.
1: Okay, so I, I get your thought process, and I know again this always triggers the class because you have to put it in context, and this class isn't very good. But for a big that has upside, as like a bottom ten center. Is that guy a lottery pick? Like that's kind of where I'm getting at. Is like even if I agree with your analysis, if the upside, if sure. that's the upside, if you're like a lower level starter, and that's things break right as a big man in the modern game, like how do you how do you value that in in, in a draft as far as like what selections you should be looking for that as?
0: Yeah. So the fact that he's at 13 is much more of a statement, again, on this draft than it is on him. Because, for instance, I have Scotty Lewis at 19 right now. I have Matthew Hurt at 24. Um, I have, let's see here, Khalil Whitney at 26. Like, so let's let's pull these three freshmen like Isaiah is a freshman right now, right? None of those guys can really do anything on the floor right now. (laughs) Um, Like Khalil Whitney's a good defender. He can't do shit on offense right now because he can't handle the ball really. And he's not a good shooter. Matthew Hurt is just not strong enough to be able to do anything effectively right now beyond space the floor from distance. Um, Scotty Lewis is a guy that the jump shot really has held him back and just the general spazziness of his game that still hasn't quite evened out yet. Uh, at this level, I'm hope it has even doubt over the course of the season by very slight margins, but he is still spazzy on the floor. Um, if those guys hit, they're probably slightly more effective players. But like the fact that Stewart is strong and I think can shoot it and uh, at least has like physical measurements and is productive. I think he has like at least a higher potential of hitting that ceiling. Like I I think that where we diverge most of the time is I tend to value that second part of the expected value equation of likelihood to hit ceiling or likelihood to hit reasonable outcome a little bit more than you do because you tend to care about ceiling instead of that. Or at that
1: expense. Yeah, that's a fair categorization as far as maybe you factor in median outcome a little bit more than I do. But I'm curious then. Especially,
0: but I, I especially do that throughout the second half of a draft.
1: Sure. Yeah, I yeah, I get your mindset there. So I guess to wrap that up with Stewart, just kind of compare him to a Kangwu because I'll give you some context on a Kangwu for me personally. I think a Kangwu is a much better player than Stewart is. I just but I also think that he is ideally a third big. I don't think he has the measurements to be a starting center. I think he gets pushed around. He needs to add lower body and upper body girth, but I think as a play finisher, he's a really, really high level athlete. He's explosive. He's got good touch with either hand. He's incredibly coordinated. So I like him. And I also like, what I like most about him is the fact that ESPN has him mocked at 30th right now. Like if I can get Okongwu in the twenties in this class, I think he's going to be a very good third big, but so how do you rationalize having Stuart ahead of him? Is it more, you think Stuart has more, you know, starter upside potentially at the five due to his physical tools and strength, or is it more, you just think Stuart's the better player?
0: So I see a more defined role for Stewart on defense if he can actually figure out how to protect the rim, right? Because when I look at a Kong Wu, I worry about him being a tweener defensively. He's much better defensively, I think, than where Stewart is at this level, at least. But at six foot, like you think he's six foot nine. I am. I have some concern that he's six foot eight uh, <laughs> and has like a seven foot wingspan. Whereas Isaiah Stewart's like six, nine probably 15 pounds heavier and has a seven, three wingspan. So it's a much simpler fit positionally. Uh, if Stewart is good and like, they're pretty similarly, <laughs> they're pretty similarly productive right now, by the way, too. Um, like what a is probably averaging. I'll look up the numbers, but let's see here. akongwu has been
1: insane. His stats this year have been ridiculous.
0: Yeah, so Isaiah is at 17.9 and 8.9 points and rebounds per game, uh, shooting 57% from the field. Kongwu is at 17.4 and 8.7 points and rebounds, 61% from the field. So they're about the same in terms of production right now. And I see a cleaner positional fit uh, with Stewart as a center than I do with Kongwu as a kind of athletic, what is he like a four or five? And like, I guess may- maybe this is the, this is the Brandon Clark argument all over again, which by the way, like with Brandon, I am probably higher than most. Like <laughs> I had NBA executives last year. Tell me I was fucking crazy for having Brandon at 12. Like I, yeah, I, no, did, not, I, I, I did not talk to an executive last year that I Brandon at. No, that's a lie. I talked to a couple that had him in the lottery um, with like Grant Williams. I did not talk to any who had him top 15 like I did with Brandon. I at least talked to a couple that like had him in the lottery or something, but most of them had him like at 20.
1: Yeah. I think that goes to like, it's kind of interesting what your point of reference is with the NBA guys. And I don't want to belittle. I mean, obviously a lot of people in the NBA are really good, but I don't
0: no, care please. as much. Like, about as- that. Yeah, like
1: it's... <laughs> I just don't care enough about that as a baseline. Like, I'm going to have my own thoughts watching these guys. I'm not going to, like, go do it based on what they think. Let's, you get much more intel than I do. So that's something that it really does matter, right? And well, I, that's I think why that, I don't... As much.
0: Yeah, like, I think for my job and, like, how I build this board, right? Yes. Um, and, like, I wrote, uh, I wrote about, like, how I build the board, right? I do oh, use good. intel, like, from teams when discussing, like or when ranking players, right? Because I don't want it to be, I want it to be somewhere between a reflection of what I think and a reflection of reality. Basically. Yeah. Um, NBA executives tend to be higher on these slow footed big men than I am. Um, they tend to be lower on these positional quagmires like Brandon Clark and Anika Kongwu. Uh. than I am. And like the funnier one right now is Zeke Naji. Right. Um, like I have Zeke Naji at 43. Like, where are you on Zeke?
1: Uh, definitely more in your range than where I've seen him mocked.
0: Yeah, like I saw. And like, I love Evan. So I don't, I don't mean this is like a shit talk thing. I'm sure he talked to people that feel this way. Um, like Evan Daniels just said, like, Zeke Naji has a chance to go in the lottery in 2020. And that would be fucking crazy to me. Jeez. He's a worse defender than Isaiah Stewart.
1: Yeah, I mean he moves better on the perimeter, but like he, as far as defensive value, like he just, yeah, I, I don't think he's he has much defensive value, frankly.
0: His his awareness on the back end is way worse than Stewart's. I guess that like Stewart is in the zone and his reads are a little bit more simplified than Zeke's are. Um, but like Zeke just loses guys left and right, like cutting behind him, uh, on defense and like doesn't really ever rotate and plays super straight up and is a terrible defensive rebounder. Um. At least with Stewart, like, you know, you're getting rebounding, you know, you're getting rim protection with length on some level, like, you know, maybe he's not good enough to be a primary rim protector and that fucking tanks his value. But like, uh, and he's been more productive than Zeke this year, too. It's it's a weird, it's very weird to me that people are jumping in on the Zeke thing, even though, like, I even think Zeke's probably going to shoot it at some point, too, is the funny thing. He's just like bad. On
1: defense, yeah, I think he's actually like a four or five tweener. Like right now, he is more of the yeah. skill of a five, but no team's gonna play him there, so that's kind of interesting. I, I for the record, I don't think a Congo is Brandon Clark. Like I don't think he's that skilled offensively. Like right. he Here gets some Bam, he gets some Bam comparisons. He's not Bam as far as skill level, handling, power. Like he gets pushed around a lot easier. Bam had a much better frame, and he had much better lower body anchoring strength. There's a lot of differences there. I think a Congo again. I think he's more of a third big. I think he's a valuable one, and I think that's what makes his ranking the hardest one of the hardest in the class for me like I would take Wiseman over him a lot of people feel differently because they think Okongwu is a better player I think you can make that argument but I would take the starting potential impact on defense at a starting five spot that is likely to be utilized that way with Wiseman and I just like where Okongwu is mocked right now I think that there is some actual value because I think he's actually very good it's just he doesn't no team is really probably going to start him at the five that's where my concerns are and I don't think he can play the four like Brandon Clark can
0: right So if no team's going to start him at the five and you don't think he can play the four, (laughs) Tweener? Like, you're kind of – I mean – He kind of is.
1: He's like like a backup five. I think he's going to play a lot of minutes at the five in the NBA. Like, he's always going to play pretty much solely there, I think. But I think he can get on the floor and and be good there. It's just he's – I don't know if he can be a starter there. And that's kind of the the wrench in all of this for me is, like, I like the player. I just don't – really know how it translates like would you take one of the best backup fives in the league potentially over a lower level starting center who can actually start
0: like it, it's kind of complex yeah it's like a good question would you rather have Montrez Harrell or Jakob Pertl
1: yeah Montrez Harrell pretty easily like that's kind of where I'm getting at <laughs> I
0: actually don't know how to answer that yeah I, mean, for I, me, I think easy, I'm, it? I think I'm so. much higher on Jakob's defense than you are too like, yeah I think probably. Jakob is like legitimately like a top 15 center defender in the league
1: yeah, for me, it's more interesting. Like, I mean, of course, I take I take Wiseman over Congo, but I think that's more like an interesting debate of where like if, if Wiseman doesn't work, he's like a lower level starting center because everybody's going to start him that drafts him. If it does work, of course, then it's easily Wiseman. But like comparing those two things, like the impactful third big versus like maybe someone who tops out, maybe an example that tops out is like an average starting center. I feel like that's really interesting. Hmm because <laughs> a lot of teams do this coalition of bigs like they just get different bigs like this is what the warriors did really well surrounding their core mostly perimeter players that had like a i mean jordan bell ended yeah. up not being very good but him kept Kevon looney and just having a bunch of different guys yeah, that you can throw on the floor that's how i see a congo
0: it's funny that you bring up jordan too because like i i think there are going to be some people that are tempted to compare on yeka to jordan and it's not smart like you should not do it Uh, He's not similar, really, I don't think. Um, But in terms of, like, being six foot eight with like a seven foot wingspan and being something of a tweener i can see why it would come up but the difference is in Yeka plays with power and can rebound and like can do all the things that jordan can't
1: yeah he's a better like drop pick and roll shot blocker like jordan struggled to make rotations but he was very good from the weak side and Okonga was a much better play finisher like he with either hand he has touch he can finish shots away from the basket and that's something that brandon clark could Easily do better than Jordan Bell. And that's why that comparison never made sense. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. Like, Onyeka plays with force, is the difference. Yes. Like, he plays with a lot more force. Um, and that's like a huge thing in the NBA being able to play with force, being able to absorb contact, being able to uh, contact people yourself, right? Um, I still have yet to answer the question about why Isaiah Stewart <laughs> over Onyeka Kongwu. And I don't want it to be like I am avoiding the question. Um, yeah, basically I see it as a more svelte and sound positional fit uh, as a starting center uh, if Isaiah hits than if Onyeka hits. But again, given that Onyeka went from like 27 on my initial board to 18 and Isaiah has gone from 10 to 13, like I probably won't... We're trending toward me not feeling this way in two months' time.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's like... I mean, I do think a Kongo is better than Isaiah Stewart, but I don't have like incredible conviction about a congo as a prospect. Like, I do really like him. It's just, again, I, I think it's more complex. You like, like him in the spot though.
0: where other people have him.
1: Yes. I, that's really the key takeaway. And that, that's how I maybe look at the draft a little bit different than a lot of people is looking at like draft ranges, like where you're supposed to go and the kind of value in that range. Like if you can get a quality third, big, like a potentially very impactful one in the twenties, I would take that, especially in this class within that's kind of the allure for me with him.
0: Um, is there anyone else you want to mention on my board?
1: I think that hits most of the high notes. Like a lot of these guys make sense. There's not like a a lot of conversation behind them. But you already talked about two guys, and you already kind of hit on this: Khalil Whitney and Trendon Watford, two freshmen that I think, frankly, have underwhelmed. And I, a lot. I don't of people know that I would go that far time. with.
0: I don't know that I would go that far with Trendon. Um, Khalil has been a fucking nightmare. Yeah. So going
1: to both, like just, I guess what makes you like them? I mean, I'm guessing they're like toolsy bets late in the first round. Like what's the allured them and why would you have them over someone like Patrick Williams, who, in my opinion, I'm not quite as high on him as some are, but I, I definitely like him more than these two players.
0: Yeah. So Trendon, for as much as, you know, people have questions about Trendon, Trendon is averaging 13 points and six rebounds while shooting 50% from the field and 39% from three. Yeah. And he's six foot nine with a seven, two wingspan. Um, and like not a bad defender, like that is basically what everyone is looking for from the four position right now. Um, the turnovers are a concern and they are why he is so low. Uh, he has not made great decisions this year. Having said that he has turned the ball over six times in his last four games and looks considerably better doing so. Um, and I understand that it's against worse competition, but, in those four games, he's averaged 15-5 on 57% from the field and 50% from three. Like, he's he's starting to come around and figuring out, figure it out. Having said that, I understand why people saw his first five or six games and were like, oh, this is bad.
1: Yeah, and I was one of those people, by the way. <laughs> I saw some of them in high school, of course, but I, I have not seen him since those first couple of games, so perhaps my has, opinion of him is tainted in the negative direction. <laughs>
0: yeah, has not been as bad. Has been actually like legitimately really good for a freshman over the course of the last like four or five games. Um, Khalil Whitney. Uh, I came into the year having Khalil Whitney as like a 10th is like 10th or something like that. I think that's probably why I have him still high. Like he's gone from 10th to like 25th or 26th on my board. Um, I think of Whitney differently than I think of Williams. I think of Williams as more of like a four because I think he's more of like a power athlete whereas with Whitney I think of him more as like a like a 3. Like I think he's like a pure wing almost. Now skill-wise, he is that would decidedly be my yeah, he is not there skill-wise. Uh and he might not get there. He is again, like I can't emphasize this enough, Cleo Whitney has <laughs> not been very good this year. Um he's been good on defense. Like he he actually has been pretty good on defense. Uh he can slide his feet. Well, I think he can guard on the perimeter. Um he's been bad on offense and he's getting considerably less minutes over the course of the last few games. Uh, My guess is based off of the trend, I tend to be less aggressive than some moving guys up and down Uh, based off of this trend that he has shown over the course of the last little while. I would venture Cleo Whitney's probably going to be outside of my top 40 on the next big board.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to just to clarify those guys because I feel like, especially Whitney, Wofford didn't have the same pedigree coming in as Whitney did as far as how people perceived him. And I just kind of wanted to get across like why they moved down, like why they're in this position, and, and what you like about them as far as any kind of realizable upside. But I, I think it comes across pretty Simply, like, these are more, like, physical tools, kind of athleticism bets. Um, Watford having some skill, I think a lot of it's theoretical as far as balancing that athleticism with the actual skill level. With Whitney, it's more, like, this guy came in as, like, this dynamic athlete at the wing. And I, I do think he's definitely more of a four as far as skill level right now. Like, if you put him on an NBA floor right now, you can say, yeah, he can get up and down with NBA athletes. But can you do anything in the half court? No,
0: not, not even yeah. a little bit. Like, yeah. but like he couldn't do that at the four either. Like I, I would rather have him guarding perimeter guys than have him guard fours. Um, like you need your four man to be able to do more than what Khalil Whitney can do now. Anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Like, if I'm like a, if I have a team defense, like rim protection, boxing out, like doing big man stuff. I think I agree with that. He is kind of like an offensive four, maybe defensive wing right now. that's yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, Long, he has a long way to go. Uh, he, the athletic upside, though, is very real. And, like, Patrick Williams, like, here, here's the other thing on Patrick Williams, too, on why I'm probably a bit less inclined, maybe, to move him up. Like, I saw Patrick never in high school. Like, I watched, like, a couple of, like, games of tape on Patrick. But, like, yeah. he was my blind spot coming into the year. Like, NBA scouts told me, look, you got to have this dude on your board. Like he's stud athlete. Like he's really good. So I like popped him on at like 38, 37. Um, But like these 10 games that Florida state played have played so far. Like that's basically what my sample is with Williams. So I'm probably going to be slightly less aggressive on him until I get a better sample of having seen him.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the same for me. Him and Watford were probably the two guys I saw the least amount of pre-college. I do like Williams. I don't think he's as dynamic of an athlete as a lot of people do. I think he's a good athlete. I don't think he's like this world-class athlete. I was act- I'm actually more nice. impressed with the skill flashes. And like the yeah. IQ. I think he's done some things in those capacities that have been really interesting. I'm gonna really be looking forward to watching the rest of his year. Like his stats, like if you per forty pace adjust his stats, there's a lot to like. Like over over eighty percent from the foul line. He's like over a steal and a block. Like there's a bunch of stuff. Like you look at him on paper, like a lot of people have. That's why a lot you see a lot of people that are gonna be more you know extreme with his positive takes is because like he does look very good on the page right now. I do think a lot of that actually shows up on the floor. He he's been more impressive than I expected.
0: Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Um really good defensively, like seems to have really good awareness uh defensively as well. Like you said, like I don't see him as some like wild athlete. I see him as like more of a power athlete than Anything Like I know he's, you know, t- for like being 225 pounds, 230 pounds, like he is someone that knows how to use his strength and doesn't get like knocked off his space, uh, despite being 18 years old.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I have one final question for you. Um, Aaron Henry at 32. This is actually goes the other way for where we usually go as far as upside. And this is because I don't really think the upside with like someone like Whitney or Watford really exists. I don't really just believe in it personally. I have Henry ahead of them. So you have Henry 32, I guess talk about those, that grouping, like the, the Whitney compared to Henry, like how you go about deciding that.
0: Do you and I like Aaron Henry's game more than Tom Izzo likes Aaron Henry's game?
1: It's hard not to man. (laughs)
0: Like (laughs) Like, my God, I, I don't get why Izzo like talks as much shit about Henry as he does. It's, it's weird. Um, it's very weird. It's very weird. Like, especially on defense, like, he's not bad defensively. I don't. Yeah, he,
1: he tries. He, like, picks up for teammates. Like, there was this one play in one of the recent games that I watched where, like, the teammates miscommunicated. They went with the same guy. Two went with one. And then Henry rotates down and blocks the shot. It's like, it's not like this guy just checks out on defense. It's very strange to me.
0: Yeah, it's like Tom holds him to a different standard than everyone yes. else. Um, and it's not like Aaron is immune to making mistakes on defense. He does make mistakes, but it feels like Tom overreacts to the mistakes that Aaron makes at a greater level than when, I don't know, someone like fucking Thomas Kithier makes a mistake on defense. Right?
1: Yeah. I think that's definitely fair. It has been one of the most, you brought that more to my intention with, with that one article or whatnot. Some of his comments and I just kind of blew me away a little bit.
0: Like it's been like a consistent thing through his two years there too. It's weird. Um, Aaron Henry is shooting 50% from the field, 38% from three on increased attempts per game. Um, He's passing the ball really well.